Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Sine of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Seneco for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, putting the outlines together, keeping us in line, keeping editing notes. He makes our lives so much easier. So we really appreciate him. And make sure you're checking out stuff he's doing with Jack Kelly over at DBB on their YouTube channel. Also, make sure you check us out tomorrow if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Wednesday, Amari and I will get up Wednesday morning, Wes as well, and we're going to get out an episode reacting to the draft lottery on Tuesday night. Amari, it's finally here. We can get it over with on Tuesday night, figure out where the Pistons are drafting. I know we're going to talk through a lot of that in this episode, but I don't know about you. I'm ready just to find out where they're going to pick. We can discuss it a little bit and start moving forward. Yeah, it's kind of funny because being, uh, you know, the team with, I guess, the the best quote-unquote odds kind of removes a lot of the intrigue, especially in the draft like this. It's one thing if it's like 2018 where you have a few guys who are on number one picks, and this draft is just one guy. So, you know, it makes it hard to talk about it for six weeks straight, right? And I'm really, this will be our last pre-lottery episode that we can get on to the nitty-gritty of who they will actually pick uh, starting next week. Yeah, and we will break all that down. We'll talk about what it will mean if they land the number one pick in Victor Women Yacht. What does it mean if they don't? Some if-then, all of that stuff in this episode, some NBA draft talk at the end. I do want to encourage you guys. We are four ratings from 200 on Spotify. We're just lagging a little behind on Apple with 163. Help us continue to grow and expand. That's how people find us. I don't know about algorithms and all that stuff, but I know the more ratings, the better ratings we have, the more people can find us. So help us out there. Let's get over 200 on Spotify. Let's get closer to 200 on Apple. Omari, I don't know if this is news, if Pistons Twitter is just making up news. Monty Williams was fired by the Phoenix Suns. And of course, the very first thing that comes up is, does he enter his name and do the Pistons enter his name into this coaching search? Just give us a little bit of an update. Where are things at? Have those interviews happened out there in California with the owner, Tom Gores, is Monty Williams really being considered? Where are we at with all of this? They interviewed the three finalists last week, Jaron Collins, Kevin Ali, and Charles Lee. And they're not going to make a decision until after the lottery. That I'm not saying they're going to have anything Wednesday, uh, but sometime after the lottery is when they'll make their decision. So knock on wood, you know, ideally this will not age poorly by the time this episode comes out <laughs> on Tuesday uh, since we're recording this Sunday evening. But Monty Williams, uh, you know, I think, you know, for a coach as good as him to become available uh, this late in the process. I mean, as we're recording, guys, even I don't even think it's been a full 24 hours since he was fired. But I would I would think the Pistons like either Monty Williams's camp or Pistons camp would make contact with the other at, at some point. Like, I'd be surprised if there was just no talks took place there at all. Uh, that's not to say that. You know, he's going to become the fourth finalist or that they're going to interview him or anything like that. I think there's still a lot to kind of come up as they sort through uh, this coaching search this week. This was like a pretty pivotal week to me as far as where the front office is, uh, you know, as far as making a decision on, on these candidates or do they bring more in because they're not quite sure where they are yet. So uh, if it's not one of the three finalists, probably the odds increase uh, pretty substantially that Monty Williams gets to the next step. But this isn't me you know, reporting that this is all set in stone or going to happen. It's just, uh, he's a great coach, obviously. And I do think there could be some interest from, uh, you know, both sides at some point. So maybe this time next week, we'll be able to provide a more firm update on that. Yeah. And there's other positions open as well, Omar. I think that's the thing we forget, right? The Raptors position is open. There's probably a chance the 76ers position is open after what happened on Sunday with them going down in, you know, a blowout fashion in game seven. So there's other things at play here i do i have to laugh a little bit that the decision won't be made till after the lottery i know that's a pistons thing but i bet those coaches want to know where that lottery pick is going to land as well that might encourage those guys to push their name a little further maybe even monty williams you know those guys want to throw their name in the hat let's talk about monty williams because one of the biggest things that came from this omari was People went and found an article or a couple articles from 2019 when he got the Suns job and this half-second offense. And essentially what it said was nobody touches the ball for more than half a second without making a decision. So they catch the ball, they shoot it, they pass it, they drive it in half a second. And Pistons fans, understandably so, 
have fallen in love with this idea. And I think this is really why they like Monty Williams right now. Now, I think it's funny that a lot of the players the Suns have acquired since then didn't necessarily fit that model. But for all intents and purposes, this is the offense he wants to run. I would love to see it. What do you think about that? Like just this free-flowing offense that, that plays fast, plays with pace, keeps the ball moving. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Durant is like the opposite. But, know. You know, he's you know, a guy who's going to hold, hold the ball and poke and prod and figure out what he wants to do. Uh, you know, he's more like five seconds instead of play five. <laughs> but, you know, I think it would it would bring life uh, to a Pistons offense that, you know, I think as you know, I wouldn't say, say lifeless. I think it has stretches where it could be really, really productive. Uh, but it's always struggled, I think, with consistency. And, you know, maybe, you know, some people would say just not being very flexible or creative. Uh, so an offense, I mean, 0.5 seconds, the ball constantly moves. Uh, it it punishes indecision, right? And I think we've seen a lot of indecisive moments uh, just from Detroit's offense over the years, which a lot of that's just young players, right? Like that's not necessarily effective of the system when, you know, you have 20-year-old ball handlers and, uh, you know, just an influx of rookies that have come in over the last few years. But uh, we've seen with Monty Williams, we've seen just how immediately he impacted Phoenix when he arrived a few years ago. Uh, the set in stone, I mean, we've, we've, we've seen the results and obviously that would, be a good hire for the Pistons if they were ever, ever to go that route, just seeing what he's done at previous stops. I kind of wonder if this was a mutual thing. If Monty was like, hey, I came in, I want to run this offensive system. I had the guys I wanted to execute it. And then the front office started acquiring guys that really didn't fit. Like, I wonder if there was a disconnect there in general. And then obviously they've had some disappointing finishes over the last couple of seasons. I think it's interesting you bring up like how creative and fun it would be to watch. I just want to say, Omari, Yes, the read and react half second offense is very fun and you have to have a lot of creativity. If you don't have the right personnel, Amari, it is very, very ugly because if you have a ball stopper, if you have someone that can't play, James Wiseman, with all due respect, this is why he didn't work in Golden State, Amari. He was the first one that came to my mind. He didn't work in Golden State because it was read and react, screen for Steph, then slip it, and then do this, and then catch right into a DHO, and he wasn't able to operate that fast. And so I just want to say, it could be clunky in year one if this ever came to fruition, and you may see guys move that are on the roster or guys acquired that aren't specifically to fit this because I think your roster construction has to perfectly fit fit this style of play and not every player fits that as you said KD is more five seconds than half seconds so I just wanted to point that out and that would be especially for a young team anyway uh, there's probably a learning curve for that type of offense because you, you really have to be able to lean on just the principles of the offense and trusting your teammates to be where they're supposed to be for that to work and you know with young players that's not always going to happen obviously that's why when they added Chris Paul and Chris Paul would help any, any team but just having a high level process you could organize everybody uh, you know I think really lift that team up so on the other hand you look at Jalen Duran and you know I think he's maybe down the road the perfect type of center for that offense just even given last year we saw flashes of him really looking for shooters or uh, just making those types of reads so it's uh, a, a retooling effort would probably take place to get the right personnel around that but Kay, Duran, uh, like Ivy, like they have players already who could make that work pretty well, I believe. No, absolutely. I agree. I think Jalen Duran was one of the first guys I thought like this would yeah. fit what I think you and I and a lot of people believe he is as a basketball player. Kay Cunningham, I mean, he fits any system, but this system especially. I think Jay Ivy would be good. It, like you said, like there may be some growing pains, but I think it would actually help him grow if he was forced to play with these quick decisions. And then honestly, the guy I really thought of is Killian Hayes. If there is a chance for Killian Hayes to last in Detroit and find success here, I believe it would be in an offense like this that is essentially five out, read and react, drive and kick, move, quick decisions, and values high basketball IQ awareness field players. And I do believe that's what Killian is. So I think he was another guy that automatically came to mind for me. And I'll say this, we can talk about as we go through the draft picks, a lot of the guys at the top of this class would fit into this very well. So let's start there. And I want to start with this question, Omari. Is this the most important lottery of the rebuild so far? Is landing the number one pick or not falling to five or whatever it may be, is this the most important of these three, four lotteries? I'm going to say no, only because they already got a number one pick two years ago in Cape. And I mean, he's only played, I think, 74 games. So we haven't really seen 
uh, the full impact of where it could be so far. But I think because they've already won the lottery, because they already have so many pieces set, um, if they don't get Wimby, it's not like all of their efforts over the last three years are immediately tanked, right? Uh, a lot of, I mean, all of the building you, you've done uh, still still counts, still matters. You, you know, are still positioned next season to make a pretty big leap uh, over that 17-win record last season. And then along with that, like two through five, I still think it's a pretty good draft, right? Like Scoot could go number one in a lot of drafts. Uh, I think there's a fall-off. I do think there's a fall-off after Scoot to an extent. I, like, I think Brendan Miller's a perfectly fine number three pick. But after that, you kind of have to do some projecting to see guys hitting their ceilings, right? Like, I think those three guys are a clear tier above. But beyond that, yeah, you know, and you may feel a little bit differently. I know people are listening and they're like, well, it's Wimby. I could not be the most important. But, you know, if they don't get Wimby, they're not doomed, right? Like, they still have things to look forward to. So I don't know. I'm not quite there yet. No, that's a good point. Like, there's still a bunch of caps. There's still an avenue to this team being really good. I think getting the number one pick just makes that easier, right? And, yeah, and maybe And maybe even speeds it up. But there's still a path. If there's one thing Troy Weaver has done with the salary cap is he has created flexibility and things they can do. You know, they, the draft pick situation, not quite as great, but there will be ways to acquire future draft assets if he thought it was necessary by taking on SIN contracts with that cap space. I think the, mo- the interesting question, what changes the trajectory of the organization more? Was it getting the number one pick in the K draft? Or is it now with the guys they have adding Victor Wimbenyama to what they already have? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think there's an argument for both sides. If they don't land Cade, where is this team at right now? How are we feeling about this team if they don't end up? What if Jalen Green's on this team? How are we feeling today? Evan Mobley, you're probably feeling okay. Scotty Bar, I I don't know. As we talk through it, I don't know that I have an answer I feel like my answer, Amari, is still Victor just because he is this generational type prospect. But I understand where you say, hey, they already got a number one pick. They have a face of the franchise. They have a Jaden Ivey, maybe even a Jalen Duran. And so not getting the number one pick isn't as dire as if you wouldn't have got the number one pick in the K draft. I'll put it this way. So Wimby is the best uh, prospect since LeBron James, right? How many championships did Cleveland win during the Bronze first step? None. They didn't. How many How many finals did they make? They made one. One. And he went superhuman heroic. They could get Wimby, but if you don't know how to build a team around him, it doesn't matter. So that's why, to me, Wimby is a piece. Uh, but to your point, adding Wimby 2K probably puts you – it probably positions you basically to have two potential superstars to build around on rookie deals. Uh, or even like that first extension before they get super duper expensive. And that gives you a lot of flexibility going forward. So I guess in that sense, uh, getting adding Wimby 2K, and of course, is more pivotal than just getting Cade on his own. So in that case, well, now you're swinging me in the other direction a little bit, and I kind of see it, but you have to still know how to build a team around these guys, right? We don't know how good Cade is yet. We don't know how, know how good Wimby's going to be. So you still have to get those auxiliary moves right. Like Cleveland only got a, a ring with LeBron because LeBron was a good person that said, you know what, I'm going to go back and, and fulfill my destiny to get Cleveland the first championship in 40 and, years or and whatever. And Cleveland had the number one pick again and was able to take that number one pick and trade it for established veterans. Yeah. You know, like they got what the number one pick three times in four years. Only one of those dudes ever played. Kyrie played for him. Anthony Bennett was a bust and they traded Andrew Wiggins. I think I have all that right. I'm not a yeah. Cavs expert, but I think that's all yeah. right. Yeah, no, they, they traded Wiggins for, for Kevin Love. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just... Like, he has to know how to, how to build a, a team. The second time, they had tools to be able to uh, form a, a new team around LeBron, right? Kyrie had already been there, but they didn't do anything with Kyrie. That's another example. You still have to have LeBron James yep. come back because Kyrie lives up being the number one pick, but he wasn't quite that franchise changer on his own. And, you know, we don't know. Like, we don't know what Wimby's going to be. We don't know what K is going to be. So it's hard for me to assume the best-case scenario because how many championships has – uh, Minnesota won with Carl Anthony Towns and then they traded for number one picking Andrew Wiggins. They have nothing to show for it. Like, we're like eight, nine years past that. So, I don't put a lot of stock into like getting the number one pick. I think teams typically, good GMs can figure things out regardless of where they pick. And at the end of the day, the Pistons have to develop these players and get these uh, free agency decisions right. They have to get the coach right. All these other things that kind of factor into it. So, I just see Wimby as a potential piece that could change things, but I don't see that as an end all be all. So, that leads us right into this. And I think I know where your answer would be then. How bad is it if the Pistons fall? So just the numbers, Amari. 
they have a 12% chance to pick number four. That's actually the individual lowest, not by a lot, but it is the lowest uh, percent chance. At five, they have a 47.9% chance. That is by far the individual highest, almost a 50-50 chance of picking number five. So how bad is it? If they fall to four or five, essentially a lot of the same guys are going to be in play, whether you're at either one of those spots, but you have a 59, almost 60% chance at picking four or five. So there's a pretty big drop off. Like I mentioned it earlier, there's a pretty big drop off to be from Wimby and then to Scoot and then to Brendan Miller. To me, that's like one, two, three in order. And I'm probably going to feel that way, you know, going into the draft unless somebody's combine numbers jump off the page or are bad or whatever. But right now, I just feel like that's a clear one, two, three. And then after that, there's just a lot of skill development work that has to, to take place. I think those three guys will come in day one and be immediate contributors. I don't know if I feel that way about anybody else. Uh, really, throughout the rest of the, the the lottery, I mean, we've talked about Cam Whitmore. I think it's going to be really good. You know, he's young. He's still raw. Uh, he had negative playmaking numbers uh, this past season. Still a lot of red flags with him. Uh, well, not a lot of red flags. There's one red flag and then just the fact that he's young and has to develop. There's star power red flag with Cam yeah. Bomer. I think like yeah. I think there's a really good floor of I, I really buy the shot, Omari, because I think the shot looks good. There's numbers that back it up. I think it was his shooting hand that had the injury coming into the mm-hmm. season. So that's takes into account horrible like whole environment and situation there defensively. A lot of these guys aren't sure things. I can show you stuff on Wimby where I'm like, hey, he's got to fix this defensively if he really wants to be the the player. So I think the floor. But yes, there are red flags with him being a star, Amari, because if you want to be a star, number one option, those type of things, you've got to be able to distribute the ball. And as you said, he has a negative assist to turnover ratio right now. That's not great. He could be a one-dimensional star. He could, you know, he could be Kelly Oubre. Like, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot, a wide range of outcomes for him. I think he's such a good athlete that he was just, some things become easier for him, but he's still very much an unknown. Uh, Jairus Walker, I have him in, in that range. To me, I just see a high-level role player. I don't necessarily see him becoming a star unless that shot really, really comes along and that ball handling really, really comes along. Like, I like Taylor Hendricks. I don't know if he's going to be better than, like, a Miles Turner, which is a good player. Uh, you know, he's, he's still probably like maybe third, fourth, you know, best guy on the championship team. He hasn't really made it that far in the playoffs yet. So I don't know. Like beyond that, I do think there's a fall off. And I think if you get four or five, just being able to have your pick of those guys. I didn't even mention the, the Thompson twins who are probably have the widest range of outcomes in the entire lottery. Uh, you can still feel pretty good. Just so you could have your pick of those guys. Some of those guys will hit. You just have to know that your player development staff could develop these players to get them to where they need to go, basically. Well, I think what it speaks to is there's still the avenue and the path to acquiring another star if you think the team needs it. So it's okay, quote-unquote, it's okay if you just land Cam Whitmore or Amin Thompson or Jairus Walker, whoever it is, because either one, you can think you have your stars in Ivy, Cunningham, and Duran, or you can feel like you have $40 million in cap space and other avenues to go get said star. So I think that's where the Pistons are in a decent position. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the outcome you want or you wouldn't be disappointed. So I pose this question, Omari. Was the quote-unquote tank this season worth it if they don't land one, two, or three? Yes, because they weren't going to make it that far in the play. Like, best case scenario, they probably weren't. I mean, I think we had them projected. It finished 14, you know, 15th in that range for the season started anyway. And then they got hurt. So, to me, it's probably just better in the grand scheme that you got the highest odds possible uh, to put yourself in that position. So, no, I don't see it that way. I think if you're going to miss the playoffs, you might as well have the best odds to show for it. Do they have enough star power on the roster right now, Amari? Would you feel comfortable? Let's say we, let's say neither one of us believe Cam Whitmore has star power. He's a really good 3 and D role player, fits into the roster. We like it. But do you think they have enough, quote-unquote, star power ceiling with Ivy, Cunningham, and Duran? Because for me, I'll answer first. I would like to see them add another person with that kind of high upside ceiling. I'm not sold all those guys hit that just yet. I don't think we've seen enough sample. Do you disagree with that? I think between Cade and Ivy, that should give you enough punch to at least be able to make some noise. Along with the rest of the depth they've added, right? You bring back Alec Burks, you bring back uh, Bogdanovic, uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart, maybe the three ball comes along a little bit more. Uh, to me, just from a depth standpoint, and maybe one of Cade or Ivy getting to like that next tier next season, that should give you enough to at least, to me, 
makes some noise as far as getting into the playing game. Now, if you add another piece to that, then now you're in perfect shape, you know, to make that next step. But most teams really only have two guys who are like really studs, right? Uh, maybe three, maybe three, but for a lot of teams, it's just two and you have a lot of high level role players. So they'll need Jalen Duran to be a top five center. I think a lower outcome for him where he's maybe in that seven to eight range, a really good passer defender, uh, you know, uh, rim runner, all that stuff. Uh, to me, that's enough to get you over the hump if you have enough depth. So I don't necessarily see this as a make or break. I think you could take a swing on the Cam Whitmore, and if it takes them three, four years to pop, uh, you should have enough in that span. You could make a trade for another guy. They have enough resources now, I think, to still be competitive. All right, one final thing before we go to break. Let's go back to Victor Wimbenyama, and we're going to start with Victor after the break as well. But how game-changing would this be for the organization, the city, I mean, I'm thinking about what it would mean for the city, Omari. There's a lot of Detroit Lions positivity right now. Like, they're on the upward swing. Me and you are going to have some back and forth here in a few months whenever the NFL opens their season with your Detroit Lions versus my Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night. I'm turning Twitter off for that whole week before (laughs) and after. But all seriousness, the Lions are an upward swing. And if you landed Victor Wimbenyama, like, truly generational with this star power, I feel like that would be so impactful to the city of Detroit, even more than Scoot or Brandon Miller, even if you're as excited about them as players, like just the name, I just feel like it'd be sensational. It would be, it would be pretty crazy. I think the Pistons would uh, certainly leap into that number two spot as far as just fan interest. Uh, I mean, the Lions are the Lions and the Phil's and the Phil. Maybe the Pistons get, get parody with them. But bringing Wimby in, it would it would be in, insane. And then I just like the French connection too. Like he's the greatest French prospect ever. Uh, I mean, one of the greatest NBA prospects ever. Obviously, uh, you know, French. You know, of course, goes with that. Uh, you know, Detroit uh, being uh, like just having French roots. Uh, you know, the word Detroit meaning straight. Like maybe Victor's name is the the straight or something. If he goes into if he goes to the Pistons, I don't know. I just think the connection there is really cool and. Obviously, it's been 15 long years for uh, Pistons fans here without a playoff win, which we compared the previous uh, 15 years to that. Obviously, it was a period of incredible success. So, uh, you know, I guess some some can say the Pistons are probably due, you know, for some type of turnaround and wouldn't be being that would just obviously be perfect. All right, we're going to go a short break. When we come back in segment two, we're going to play some if then. If the Pistons land the number one pick, then this will be the pick. This will happen in free agency. This will be the starting lineup. And we'll go down the list of the potential spots they would choose from, starting with that number one pick right after this. All right, we're back with segment two, and we're just going to go through some scenarios, run through some scenarios and what the Pistons will do or could do this offseason, depending on where that pick falls on Tuesday. So, Bryce, we'll lead off with you. If the Pistons land the number one pick, I already know who the player is going to be there, but who do they draft at number one? Yeah. Let's just start the exercise from, from all the way from the beginning. So they're going to they're going to draft Victor, right? There is no yeah. questions around this. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. We talked about it. We know it. We get it. We understand it. I think if you land Victor, you really feel good about the star power in your organization that we just discussed. I don't know that I would make another big move, Amar. I think a lot of people would be like, okay, now you go for it, right? I think you just, you let this thing grow organically. You have Ivy, Cade, Wimby, Duran. I think that those four fit together perfectly. I may even say, you know what? Start Boyan at the three, maybe make one free agent signing. People are going to think I'm crazy. I think you may disagree with me on this. I would actually use that cap space to acquire future assets. I would take on a sin contract. I would acquire a future asset because you're going to lose a number one pick in the next couple of years if things go the way they should. And I want to build sustainability. I want to be able to reload every season and bring new guys in and fresh guys in to keep this thing going. So I would just roll with what I had, maybe sign some veteran presence to come off the bench. And then I would use most of that cap space for future assets. That, That would be my game plan if I landed number one. Honestly, I I can sign off on that for sure. Uh, I mean, I mentioned the death earlier. You can just bring everybody back. You have Wimby. Uh, just get a full season of growth from that young core, a full season of development. 
and yeah, and then just restock the tool chips. You have around thirty billion in cap space to do whatever you want. You know, some people may say, "Hey, go get you know, never start." Like, let's go all the way in on this. I'm all for, uh, you know, it's just my personal philosophy. Maintain that flexibility as long as you can and don't needlessly speed things up if you don't have to. Uh, just let these guys grow. Let these guys figure things out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would absolutely sign off on that if I were Troy Weaver in this scenario for sure. I don't think it would make sense to go all in if you get Wimby. Just let these guys develop maybe two, three years down the line. You can make a big move then. Or, or, or I mean, if guys really, you know, Im- improve rapidly, you can make a swing sooner, right? But you don't need to do it this summer. If you're really there, like if Wimby comes in and is that dude and Cade makes the jump and Ivy gets better and during, then yeah, the trade deadline, you trade whatever you have to, you go all in and you make that decision. I, I'm cool with that. But I think the rest of the summer should be chill. I think it should be relaxed. Like you're saying, you you bring guys back, you round out the roster, you get some depth. I'm fine if all the vets are coming off the bench and, and that's where your veteran presence comes, but you start all those young guys, let them grow together, and you really find out what you have. Do, you said it earlier, Amari. Do we really know who Cade Cunningham is? We, we think we do, but we haven't even got a full 82 games out of Cade. Obviously, they haven't got 82 out of Ivy. Duran is still super young. And then I can't imagine Victor's playing 82 games in his rookie season, not at seven foot five and entering the NBA and all of those things. Like, you got to be smart with how many minutes you give that guy. So I would just slow play it. You got everything you want. You'd have a new coach. All this could grow together. Slow play it. Don't rush things. Don't make any rash decisions. That would be that's that'd be where I land, Amari. We are in lockstep there. Uh, let's move on to the second pick, man. Uh, if they uh, fail to number two, uh, we're going to start diverging here as these get deeper in. I think. Yeah. Uh, who who would you pick at number two, Bryce? Oh man, I I've been scoot the whole way, and. I just am having a hard time deciding whether I still do not have those guys in the same tier between Scoot and Brandon Miller. So for the first time, I think I might be leaning Brandon Miller with this pick just because I do think I have them in the same tier right now as things stand with the film I have watched and what we know today. And so I think that that's where I have to go. Like I have to stick to what I believe in terms of if they're in the same tier, then you can choose fit. And if that's where I really have those guys, then it would be Brandon Miller. I would take Scoot. And the reason is because Scoot is an engine. And I think you could very easily, if let's say you were comfortable with Kay Cunningham and Jaden Ivey as your backcourt going forward, and you don't think you're going to regret trading Scoot, you could immediately flip skew to Houston, assuming they don't, you know, get the number one pick or any other team that could use a point guard, right? You could probably send them to San Antonio if you wanted to. You could send them to a, a lot of teams, really, and possibly get the, the number three pick. Like maybe Houston gets number three. So you say, hey, uh, we'll give you Scoot. You give us number three and, uh, you know, future pick or one of the young guys on the roster. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do. And worst comes to worst, you just go into next season uh, with two extremely athletic point guards and then a, a free to number one pick who could do pretty much everything. And you could always figure out a trade down the road. So maybe that's a more uncomfortable path, uh, taking Scoot and then bring him into the season with the expectation that you're probably going to have to trade one of those three at some point. Like, I don't know if that person we're in locker room or what goes with that. But to me, I just think Scoot is, I just think he has a higher ceiling then Brandon Miller, like he's younger, uh, just his athleticism, the way he gets downhill, his, his body control, ball control, like it's just to me, it's all top tier. I don't think people like people compare him to Ja. I don't think he jumps like Ja at, at all. But I'm nobody gonna, jumps like Ja. Nobody jumps like Ja. I'm not going to get off on a tangent, but I was just take Scoot. I take Scoot, best player available. Uh, figure it out later if you can move down. Cool if, if you carry him to the season. I'm cool with that as well. So I want to emphasize something. I still have Scoot as the number two player on my board. That has not yeah. changed. What has changed, and this is why I think tiers are important to do, is right now today as we record this, and it could change by Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon when somebody tweets at me that I have Brandon Miller in the same tier as Scoot Henderson. Victor's in his own tier, then it's those two guys, and I have about five or six guys in the tier below them. So I just want to emphasize that. I do think Scoot is the better player and the better prospect. I just have Miller close enough now 
that you could start to work the fit stuff in. And I will say, I have talked myself into, along with, I think, Wes, that the scoot offensive fit actually is okay. It really comes down to defensive stuff and working around that. But let's let's stay with this just a little bit because I like what you said. One thing I've always pushed back is if you're at number two, why not trade it? If you don't want Scoot, then trade the pick. Here's my question to you, Amari. Would you trade Scoot and fall back to number four, or would you only trade Scoot if it was going to number three? So let's say San Antonio's at four and they want Scoot. Would you trade two back to four? And then obviously you'd want some other assets that go with it. I could be talked into it for the right asset package. It's tough because Brandon Miller is, I, th- I mean, I think he's hes really, really good. I think we're at the stage with him where people are, there's always a prospect every single year who's like a no-brainer all year until like the, the 11th hour. And it's like, oh, well, they have all these flaws if we're talking about Brandon Miller's lack of ball handling or penetration or this and that. And it's like you draft him because he's 6'9". Uh, he's an elite shooter. Uh, pretty much any type of three you need from him, he can provide. Uh, he's got really good defensive upside. And anything you get from him being able to break down defenses to me is gravy. But he has a very high floor just as a, a 3 and D prospect. And you wouldn't even have to think about it. To me, that's just, that's pretty valuable. And that's tough to give up uh, when you kind of get beyond that into the unknown. I mean, I'm not super high on the, on the Thompson Twins. I know some people would leap at the chance to draft Amen or Asar. Or who I'm not quite there with them. Uh, for me, it'd probably be Cam Whitmore at four. And to go from Brandon Miller to Cam Whitmore, where I'm essentially trading off the first two years for maybe making it up on the back end, uh, I would probably need at least another first-round pick in equivalent value. And it would, couldn't be like the 28th pick. It'd have to be like, at least 20 or an equivalent player you can get in that range or something along that. I would need a lot more. I could be talked into it, but it would have to be a pretty substantial package. No, I'm with you there. I, I agree with that. Or maybe a future asset. So I'm like, I want to say this about Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller was really good in the mid range too. I know we've talked about this coming out of high school. That was literally what he was known for. And then he played in a system that was very analytical, which I'm behind in support, but was threes and get to the rim. I know people are going to question. It, it was weird. All of a sudden the narrative has changed Amari to now we're nitpicking Brandon Miller and it's all fun. I, I want to bring up another example of why none of us know or have this right. Two people I respect very, very highly, Amari. One is in NBA draft media, one of the top five names. Another is a guy who works for an NBA agency as a scout and is very smart, knows his stuff. I've heard both of them talk on an NBA player's defense with literally exact opposite opinions of his rookie season on the defensive end on a particular skill. So my point is very, very smart people can see the game in very different ways and have very different opinions. So again, let's be respectful and mindful of everybody's thoughts, whether it's Miller, Scoot, whatever. It's all a lot of fun. Me and you enjoy it. Me and Wes enjoy it. We get it. But let's let's not like crush people if they want to take Brandon Miller or Scoot or whatever it is. It, it, at the end of the day, it's a whole lot of fun. It's always debatable and people value different skill sets differently too. Yes, yes. Uh, to me, it's like, okay, so, you know, Brandon Miller 6'9", can shoot. Uh, defend. Uh, we saw some flashes of passing. We saw some flashing, some flashes of you know being able to break down defenders. He can improve his handle. Uh, these are improvable skills. To me, it's just like this is a no-brainer number three because I don't. I'm not gonna have any regrets, right? I know what I'm getting from him. Other people may say, well, if that's all you're getting, you may be able to sign a free agent who could do those things. You don't need to use a number three pick on that, which is also fair. I mean, I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to go about things. I just value that pretty well because you could easily get a player at number three who doesn't do anything for you. So uh, if I'm getting a player that I know is going to be good and he's on a cost control contract, uh, Brandon Miller, whatever he makes in that first year, his I think his actual play could very much exceed his contract right off of the bat. And to me, that's really valuable. But it's all debatable. Like, again, uh, for me, the gap between Scoot and Brandon Miller is enough to where I think Scoot could be a number two in a championship team. And I don't know if I feel that way about Brandon Miller. I think he's probably more of a number three. And to me, that's just really what it comes down to is just ceilings. I'm going to go for ceiling uh, when I'm a 17 win team like the Pistons are. So. No, that's fair, right? And I would, yeah. again, concede that Scoot Henderson has the higher ceiling between the two of them. And again, is the better prospect. Let me ask you this, because I think in either scenario, drafting either one of them, you have your one through three, right? Whether it's Cade, Ivy, and Miller or Cade, Ivy, and Scoot. 
So I assume you're starting Jalen Duran at the five. Omari, who would you start at the four in this scenario? Is it somebody on the roster or would you go out and grab a free agent? So some potential free agents, Draymond Green, Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes, Kuzma, Hachimura, PJ Washington, Grant Williams. There's guys like that out on the market. So as we start to transition into this bigger picture of the offseason, would it be a said free agent or do you think the starting four man was already on the roster in either one of these scenarios? I mean, you could play bogey at the four. He's not a great four. He's, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's better as a three. The only free agent I like for the team is Jeremy Grant. And that's probably just because I, you know, watched a lot of his basketball games and being a former Piston. So I'm familiar with what he brings. And this rest of the class just isn't that inspiring to me. So if he could get Jeremy Grant, then do that. Otherwise, I'm cool with sticking with Isaiah Stewart after four, honestly. If he improves as a shooter, let him, you know, prove his recognition on defense. Uh, you know, maybe you could go out and get Grant Williams or somebody, but this isn't a class to me that's tempting me to spend big. Uh, like if it's getting too pricey, if I'm looking at giving a uh, guy like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, it's just a lot of guys where once you get past like that 20 million range, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The only one I'd be comfortable giving anything close to like 25, between 25 and 30 is like Jeremy Grant. Like, I think beyond that, it just depends on what the numbers are, but I'm perfectly cool with just saying, hey, Isaiah, uh, year two, full time four, uh, go out there and do your best. And, you know, we can live with the results because he, he's already shown the ability to do those things. Uh, at least in spurts, right? He's also improved the three, improved defensively, but I think he could get there. So I'd probably just be pretty conservative this summer. All right, let's go to pick number four. We talked about this earlier, all these different names. Pistons fall to four. Let's just say nothing crazy happens. I actually listened to a mock the other day where Amin Thompson jumped into number three and Miller would still be available at four. But let's say Miller, Scoot, Wimby are off the board. Pistons land the number four pick. Omari, who are you drafting? Cam Whitmore. Uh, to me, he is... I guess I'll call him like the Patrick Williams of this draft, but I actually think in some ways he's probably a, a better prospect. I think he's a much better buy handler than Patrick Williams was coming into the draft a few years ago. And I just like his upside. Uh, you know, the passing, I think he averaged like less than an assist, like 0.7 assists, like more than a turnover a game. Like that's worrying. But it's like, okay, this guy's a natural three slash four hybrid. Uh, I could put him next to K, Ivy. Uh, Duran, whoever we have at the four, uh, we can space the four out. You have open lanes to cut, get to the rim. He's a really great cutter. And you can just minimize the decision-making for him to where if he is passing the ball, ideally it's just a simple driving kick or driving dump off or whatever, and he's not having to process too much. So I just think the Pistons are in a great position to take a guy like him and allow him to kind of fill his game out, uh, you know, to hope that he would eventually boom in a few years. And even if he's just a high-level role player, uh, like an Aaron Gordon type, like I still think that's a really good outcome. So to me, Cam Whitmore is a very easy pick to make up for. I've said this. He's really grown on me. I am talked about it earlier in the episode. I've talked about it on previous episodes. Shout out Wes. He's the one that like, kept nagging me about it, nagging me about it. Um, you know, He's taking his victory lap right now behind the scenes. But I'm in a... I, Amari, I've talked myself into being happy with at least five guys in this draft. You know, obviously the three we've talked about, Cam is the fourth, Amin Thompson is actually the fifth. And that's no shade at Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker, some of the other guys we've discussed. I would not be as excited. I will say, we talked all this stuff about Monty Williams and the .5. Cam would be the one guy I think you'd want to do more research on that may not fit that quite as well as some of the others because of the quote-unquote processing issues. Now, I will say, I'm not saying he does, I haven't watched enough film, but there's a lot of stats that would say that could be an issue. Again, Villanova was a mess this last season. So let me ask you this, Omari. I know you just talked about the free agency class, but you miss on the three big names. You draft Cam Whitmore. Are you going big name hunting? Are you going for a big trade this offseason? Are you trying to make a splash in another way? Or are you just rolling into the season with Cade, Ivy, Whitmore, bogey Duran, and then the crop of guys they have off the bench a second round pick maybe one veteran signing again i think jeremy grant to me is just the one guy that really kind of stands out as like the, the perfect natural fit for this team uh which is just really funny you know given that if, if you trade him and get him back and he isn't a perfect where he should have been from the start then i think that's gravy for detroit but I mean, if I, I really don't think the Pistons need to do a lot this summer. Uh, like, I know there's probably maybe some itch from the fan base to see, or some fans, to see them make some sort of splash and really uh, try to go for it next season. But to me, just overpaying the wrong player would be a, a mistake. Uh, it's, you don't really need to do that. Uh, to me, just this team is already, this roster is already fairly balanced as is. They definitely need some sort of four man to come in. But 
maybe that's Cam Whitmore. Uh, you know, he may have a great combine and he may be, it seems like every year there's a really athletic uh, player who comes in with all these question marks and then it just turns out their game is just way more suited for the NBA. And after like 35 games, they just start to really put up numbers. And to me, I, I think that could very well be Cam Whitmore next season. So I, I'd feel pretty comfortable just bringing in maybe one or two vets, uh, guys who just feel, you know, Rose, maybe like a Tory Craig or somebody, and uh, you know, just going from there. Well, they need to overhaul the wing forward position, right, Omari? Yeah. And in the scenarios we're talking about, outside of Scoot, but if you draft Scoot, essentially Cade has become a wing forward, which I know is the reason a lot of people don't like that. But you've overhauled it with Cam Whitmore and Jeremy Grant or Brandon Miller and Jeremy Grant, whoever it is, like as you're saying. And so we, I want to go to a break, but I want to stay with this. We still got to talk about pick number five. We got to talk about the most controversial pick that Troy Weaver can make. So we're going to come back. But Omari, when we come back, I would like to stay with the Jeremy Grant conversation for just a second, because I think some people are probably screaming at their cell phone or wherever they're listening to about, we just traded Jeremy Grant. Why would we bring him back? And I think the context around that needs to be talked about. So when we come back from this short break, we'll touch on Jeremy Grant, pick number five and the NBA playoffs. All right, we're back with segment three, and we're going to keep the Jeremy Grant conversation going. Uh, So it it should be noted that Jeremy Grant just had the best season of his career, right? And he's, of course, playing off of Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, so he's got these pieces around him who make his life easier. But, uh, I mean, just absolutely terrific season shooting the ball. I thought he was really engaged defensively. Troy Weaver made it pretty clear that in the season press conference, you know, we need, we need a wing who can defend and ideally shoot threes as well. You know, we know that there's a relationship there. If you can get him back on a good contract, to me, that's, that's, that's easy money. Omari, you you took the words out of mind. He's in a role where he can be successful. And he wasn't in that role when he was in Detroit. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with Bruce Brown and why Bruce Brown is thriving since he left Detroit. Because he's playing in a role that perfectly fits his skill set and what he's capable of. And if he was in Detroit right now, I have a feeling that fans would not be huge Bruce Brown fans because he wouldn't be doing what this team ultimately needs. But if you brought Bruce Brown back in two years, he would be able to do what he's doing for the Nuggets now, assuming the Pistons stay on the track they're on. This is the same thing with Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant came to Detroit to be the man, and he got to be the man for a year. And then they drafted Cade Cunningham, and that changed really fast. And I don't blame Jeremy Grant for maybe wanting out of town or the situation changing. He went to Portland. He got to play in this role. And if he is willing, if Jeremy Grant is willing to come back to Detroit with Cade, with Ivy, with Duran, and a draft pick and take that on, then you're right. He's worth $25 million to come in, fill that role, knock down threes, and be the defender he wasn't in Detroit because he had too much of an offensive load. So I am on board with bringing Jeremy Grant again, though, at the right price, which I thought you said this perfectly. You can't overpay some four- or five-year contract this offseason and really put yourself in a tough spot moving forward. Yeah, you just can't. I mean, they have great flexibility. You have all these guys with rookie deals. Uh, the roster's going to get more expensive as, I mean, maybe Kay gets a max one day, maybe Ivy gets a max one day. So you have to be mindful of that. But you just don't need to go into the summer guns blazing, uh, you know, just trying to get the most expensive player you can. Like, you, you really don't. You can spend that flexibility for it. Just get somebody who you know, fits, you know, th- what the roster needs now. Uh, but Jeremy Grant, maybe you could talk me into making that type of commitment. And I say 25, but the way the TV money is making now, where you're going to have superstars making 60 million uh, not too far from now, at that point, 30 really doesn't look bad at all. And that's all of Detroit's cap this summer. So at that point, you're probably just looking at some sort of MLE signing. But even that's fine. They don't need to make a lot of additions. I think Jeremy Grant and then MLE, whoever, uh, you know, maybe a veteran guard or whatever ever, uh, need you want to address to me. That plus whoever they draft, that's a good offseason to me. No, you'd have two draft picks. You'd have, you know, if it's Jeremy Grant, you have a little more cap space. And then I think you have the room exception. So like you would, you have the avenue to add the necessary players you need. There's not like there's five rotation openings on this. I mean, the big man rotation is essentially crammed as it is. You add some wings and now that's locked up. The backcourt essentially, if you keep Alec Burks, if you exercise the club option on Alec Burks, 
again, the number 31 pick, or if you trade back into the first round, I just don't think that there's a lot of room to maneuver with multiple free agent signings in that way. So if you can make one splash with somebody that you feel really confident in, that makes sense to me. Let's talk about what essentially the, the number five pick, Amari, which we can't play out who got picked at number four, but let's just say it's not Cam Whitmore. Who would be the second option for you picking at four or five? It doesn't really matter, I guess, in this scenario. So three are off the board. Cam Whitmore is not available. Who's the next guy? At that point, it's probably Jairus Walker, who I think is just a really good culture fit. And I do think there's a lot of overlap with his skill set with you know, some of what you're getting with Jalen Duran, some of what you're getting with Isaiah Stewart. Uh, but I think he is a much more natural. I think he's probably the most natural for a lot of Detroit's bigs currently on, on the roster. So he does feel a need. And then for me, you could always look at making a trade. Uh, like Marvin Bagley's, like his contract's kind of in like that mid-range tier where you could package him for somebody. So uh, at that point, maybe you just take Jairus uh, Walker and you look at some sort of Marvin trade at some point, And then you have a big a front court rotation of Duran and Wiseman as your fives pretty much and Isaiah Stewart and Walker as your fours which I think checks a lot of boxes especially if Isaiah Stewart and Walker can really shoot the, the uh, three and then you're pretty balanced so I think Jairus Walker just from a culture standpoint and, and fit I think he checks a lot of boxes for Detroit and that's probably who I would feel most comfortable with at five, but you could probably talk me to a couple of other guys as well. Yeah, I actually like Walker more than I did when we recorded the last episode. Mm-hmm. I dove into film for Draft Digest, where I do my NBA draft coverage, write articles, do all that stuff. And I actually, when we recorded the last episode, I was higher on Taylor Hendricks than Jairus Walker. I've actually flip-flopped that now. I'm actually higher on Jairus Walker. I like what he does, just his all-around game. I will say, in this scenario, this is the one draft pick where I feel like the Pistons would feel a little more pressure, a little bit, a little more pressure to go do something on the wing because now you haven't really addressed that at all with Walker. And so whether it's another draft pick, whether it's spending a little bit in free agency, something that comes available, I I don't see Jairus Walker as a wing. That's one thing I will push back on is I don't think he's a wing. And I know some people talk about that. We talked about there's a difference between able to switch one through five and guard one through five. And so I just, I think you would have to do something on the wing in this scenario. So we were in lockstep at four with Whitmore at five. You have Walker. I would take him in Thompson. I'm willing to go ahead and buy on the upside. And listen, I don't feel great about it. I have a really, really, really hard time evaluating the OTE and those guys. There's all sorts of weird quirks. Their power play when the team gets in the bonus is literally the weirdest thing I've ever seen on a professional basketball floor. And so I I don't know how to evaluate all of it. I'm going to buy the upside, the athleticism, the playmaking. Hopefully he can shoot it good enough, the defense. But I would definitely agree that it's very high risk uh, along with the high reward. I love the idea of Armin Thompson. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. He has the tools to be a really good defender. I mean, he does have point guard vision. He he is a good, he is a, an intriguing prospect. It's just the absolute lack of shooting. He was bad at the line. He was bad from three. The mechanics need work. Uh, like, I would call him a non-shooter because I just think teams, like teams were helping off him significantly, significantly and overtime elite. And now you bring him into the NBA uh, I just like I can't that makes me nervous I can't get behind that at number five like if we're talking like seven eight like that range at that point it's like okay but especially when his strengths are already being replicated by the players on the roster it just it's just, like if the Pistons needed a point guard I, he would be higher on my list I think but you're just looking at the need at that spot uh, his red flag scared me enough to where I just think Walker is a very safe pick. I like his game. But you, I like, you could go Hendricks there too, but I think Walker, uh, I think he just fits the identity of this team probably a little bit more than Hendricks does. Like, I just think the fire he plays with, that defensive edge he has, I think that'd be really important for a Pistons team that's just been completely lost in that in for a few years. So I could consider Hendricks there. I don't know who else I would. Maybe Anthony Black. I'll probably leave Anthony Black, and then I would get to Amin Thompson as far as the players I like there at number five. So here's what I would say. I think Cam Whitmore has a really high ceiling, and that's why he's number four along with the high floor. I think Amin Thompson's ceiling is just so much higher than Jairus Walker, his twin brother, Asar, Taylor Hendricks, and Anthony Black. I think the one that's also growing on me is the one that you just said is Anthony Black. And again, 
We talked about Monty Williams earlier in the episode. Anthony Black is a perfect fit for this type of offense because we've mentioned this, and I'm not going to steal it. I have to shout out Sam Vecini again. It called him the highest basketball IQ in this class, the highest processor. And so I think he would fit perfect if it's somebody like Monty Williams as the next coach or even somebody else. You know, I don't know that we know what Charles Lee or Collins or Kevin Ollie will run in terms of their offense, but he is a very high processor on the basketball floor so he I'm breaking his film down this week and so I'm really excited to see how I feel about that coming out of that film breakdown so yeah I like Anthony Black I do he reminds me of Kyle Anderson but more athletic and much more upside as a shooter and and Kyle Anderson of course I mean he's 6'9 6'8 like extremely high IQ processor like really good passer rebounder really good defender which Anthony Black can also say all those things. But Anthony Black, you're not going to call him slow. I said this last week, but he's a, a, a pretty solid athlete. I mean, he's not like jump out the gym athlete, but he's pretty good, you know, for a six seven guy. And I don't think his shooting is broken. Like, I do think he will be able to be a passable shooter. I don't see him necessarily being 37 38%, but I think he'll be passable and teams aren't going to leave him open. So I feel good. If the Pistons went Anthony Black at number five, just me as, you know, somebody who was doing like draft analysis and player fit and all that, I could see it. I could see what they're going for, just adding a wing who does everything. He's not a great shooter yet, but he does get to the line. But just raising your overall defensive floor and playmaking IQ floor, uh, you could talk me into that on number five. I like Anthony Black a lot. Okay, last one, and then we're going to talk a little bit of NBA playoffs yeah. to close it out. What is the most realistic, like somewhat realistic, Amari, controversial pick that Troy Weaver could make at any spot. So I don't think we can play with number one because I don't think there's anything realistic in not taking Wimby number one. So it can be any pick at number two, three, four, or five. What would be the most controversial, let's just say what we feel like in the Pistons community and fan base? Cam Whitmore at number two. Okay. And you know, not and I'm not saying Cam Whitmore is that high on their board. I am saying I think his combine numbers are going to be crazy and I could just see him working his way into a higher conversation. So maybe a team gets enticed by just the overall athletic package and they buy into the shooting. You mentioned he had the injury on, on the shooting hand. But he still shot like 35%, which is fine. I do think he'll be a pretty good shooter in the NBA. Uh, yeah, Pistons get the number two pick, and there's all these debates about Scoot and Brennan Miller, and then they just go for the ultimate upside swing with uh, Cam Whitmore. So that would I, probably be the most shocking pick. We're on the same page. Uh, it's at number two, but I was going to say a man Thompson at number two. Okay. So we're we're on the same page here. And I will say, what's interesting, again, I know I always reference Vecini, but he's the draft guy I listen to the most. He had all these guys, I believe, in the same tier recently of Amin, Whitmore, Miller, and Scoot. And so, like, I don't... I don't think it's that realistic, Amari, of either one of the scenarios we just said, but I do think it's possible. Realistic was probably the wrong word I used, but I think everybody understood what I was getting at. So I do think that that would, I wonder which one of those would send Pistons Twitter in more of a frenzy. If I think Cam Whitmore at number two would actually send Pistons Twitter in more of a frenzy. Wes agrees. I just think because a man at least has an upside, I think you would see more support than what Cam Whitmore would get. So that that was good. I actually think a man would be, I actually think I, like I'm men would be the more controversial okay. one because okay. I think I don't know that many people who think Cam Whitmore will be a bust. There are people who think I'm men just is not an NBA player. You know what's going to be really controversial is if they hire Kevin Ollie and then they took a man at number two or a sore yeah. at number three or something like that because then it's going to be oh well they only hired Kevin Ollie or they only drafted one of the twins that's the situation I think is going to make a lot of the fan base uneasy is if you end up with Kevin Ollie as a coach and I'm not saying this is wrong but if you end up with Kevin Ollie as a coach and one of the Thompson twins you're going to have a lot of skeptics Amari yeah that would that would be a swing yeah I think people will be skeptical sure <laughs> alright let's talk a little bit of playoffs we just watched a little bit so, sort of I know you watched the third quarter. I was working on a really cool article, guys. I'll, I'll plug it whenever it's ready to come out. But I got an opportunity to do some really cool uh, draft digest, and I'm really excited for everybody to read. So I've been working on that all day. You saw the third quarter. Jason Tatum changed the narrative. I mean, what, what has it been the last five quarters? Going in, it was game six, right? They were about to lose in six. And he was like one of 14. Then he drops double digits in the fourth. 
The Celtics win. Then he drops 50 in game seven. Jason Tatum turned the series on its head, turned the narrative on his head. And now, like I say, Doc Rivers probably out of a job. James Harden is going to head to Houston, and it's going to be crazy. But Celtics on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, there's the meme of the drawing of that guy playing a video game, but he's like sitting upright in you know, the second frame, some leaning oh, forward, yeah, yeah, like yeah. focusing. <laughs> and that's basically what Jason Tatum did over his last five quarters. I, uh, you know, I kind of, like I kind of watched the first half on on and off, like I, you know, going to uh, Chicago Tuesday for the lottery, so you know, just been packing and all that. Uh, but I watched the the third quarter, and I didn't watch the fourth because the game was over after the third quarter because Jason Tatum. Uh, I don't even know how many points he scored. It was just a barrage of threes. And he just couldn't miss. Uh, like, I don't know why they weren't beating him at the three-point line after he came off of the screen. He was just stepping into three after three. And it was just it was just in, insane. And Boston, as a whole, I mean, his shooting was infectious. And then other guys started hitting threes. And that was probably the most Golden State third quarter I've seen from, like, a non-Golden State team with Tatum basically being either Steph or Clay in that scenario, maybe Clay, you know, just the nature of the threes he was taking, but it was just insane. Like it was in the same quarter. Uh, it was funny. I was talking to people over the weekend, just talking hoops, and I was like, I feel like the West is going to win the championship this year because I just haven't seen a killer instinct from Boston or from Philly, uh, and then you know Miami, like they played phenomenally, but just from a depth standpoint, it's tough to see them going too much further. Uh, but you know, Tatum has the killer instinct. Boston has that killer instinct now, so. You know, I think that's pretty fun. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe Boston could get it this year. They were in the finals last year. If Tatum's going to do that, then I think it's anyone. Like, it could easily be them or anyone else at this point. It is going to be interesting. Even listening to, like, Keith Smith, who's a friend of the podcast. We'll have him on in a couple weeks. I listened to his, uh, the front office show, and they talk about the Celtics a lot, obviously. He he talks about, like, they don't have the killer instinct. They let teams play with, you know, stay with them. They shouldn't. Like, you just wonder if they've been waiting for this moment. And now that they're back in the Eastern Conference, like you've got to imagine that they feel this moment and they're not going to play down to, they're the better team, Omari. They're the better team. The Heat have done this. This is incredibly impressive. And they've done it without Tyler Hero. They should handle the Miami Heat. And shout out Coach Spo, Jimmy Butler, all of the Miami Heat for what they've done. I want to go over to the Western Conference though, because Wes put something in the outline that I literally do not know what he's talking about. And I can't say what I typed into the doc, but... <laughs> What What is the Corgi? Who is the Corgi? I don't know what he's talking about. Can you help me? Yeah, there's a TikTok of a Corgi. Uh, the Corgi standing at the top of the stairs and a guy is uh, tossing. It's like a basketball, but it's not. A, it's not. A, it's like a balloon basketball kind of uh, to the Corgi. And he has these rims, these wide nets at the bottom of the stairs. And uh, like, for example, uh, for the Lakers go to state series. Uh, he just did a video where he tossed the ball seven times. Uh, you know, the Corgi hits the ball off his nose, and then the ball either goes into the the Lakers uh, hoop or goes into the Golden State hoop. And the Corgi, I think, got the first uh, six games right. No, he got the first five games right. It predicted the Warriors falling down 3-1 and then the Warriors winning uh, game five. And then everybody was like, oh, is the Corgi going to predict this series? So I think the Corgi actually predicted the Milwaukee Heat series correctly. Uh, and it predicted the uh, – yeah, Wes just reminded me in, in the comments that it predicted the games in the correct order too. So it was just like this uh, – it was like the, the, the Nostradamus of like Corgis. And it fell apart well, once the Warriors lost in game six, unfortunately. But uh, still pretty impressive result by the Quirky. So where have you been, Bryce? How did you not see this? Where have you been? I don't have TikTok. It's been all over Twitter. I didn't see it on TikTok. I saw it on Twitter. And I I haven't even been browsing Twitter. Like, I legit, like, outside of games and whatnot, like, I have made a point to, like, not browse Twitter. I I saw it on Reddit. I didn't see it on Twitter. I saw it on Reddit. That's where I saw it. But it's been been viral, though. Also not on Reddit. And I read the outline because I go in out of respect to Wes, and I read the outline, and I make my notes, and I get myself prepared. And it says, LAL versus GSW, can the Corgi keep being right? That's what I read. And I literally have no idea what he's talking about. I'm. This isn't a bit. Sometimes you call me out for a bit. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. Or This is not a bit. This is straight up honest. I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, but I'm glad we talked about it for four or five minutes here to close out the episode because now now I know that the Corgi was predicting the NBA playoffs. I don't even need to watch anymore. Yeah, well, the Corgi was like the, the third biggest story of the uh, playoffs <laughs> for a little bit after LeBron and stuff. And 
unfortunately the corgi uh the corgi's record got broken so all right, real quick. Uh, sorry, Corgi. Corgi had a good run. The Western Conference, Amari. Denver just been rolling through the Western Conference with nobody talking about him. Jokic's playing at another level. They got Murray and Gordon and MPJ and like Bruce Brown just doing what he does in his role. Christian Brown doing what he does in his role. And then now you got the Lakers, who I feel like, Amari, I feel like this Lakers team is really well built all of a sudden after th- two years since the bubble when they won it of not putting the right roster around these guys they made the right moves my guy Austin Reeves is balling I think Anthony Davis is the x-factor because when that man is focused engaged and healthy he has an argument for a top five player in the league if not higher I think this Western Conference the series is going to be a lot of fun yeah I predicted Lakers go to state going seven it did not go seven but I do think this next one will go seven and I'm, I'm going to take the Lakers in seven uh just because I think that. I think Denver has one elite problem solver, and he's probably the best player in the series, so I don't want to minimize it. But I think the Lakers have two elite problem solvers. And AD, I mean, he's just been an absolute monster. He's been a monster defensively. Uh, You're probably not going to slow down Jokic, but you can slow down everybody else. And I think the Lakers are a little bit deeper, too. Uh, So as long as they stay healthy, I just, you know, I think the Lakers are going to the finals. I think we're going to get, I think we're going to get a Lakers-Celtics finals. And this rivalry has not meant anything in, like, so long, and you know, really, I mean, LeBron has no relationship with anybody with this Boston team, so it won't really have a lot of hype. But I think that, that that'll be fun. So I'm predicting Lakers in seven for this Western Conference series. The NBA has to be ecstatic right now, Amari. They might get a Boston-LA NBA Finals. You got one of the most anticipated NBA draft lotteries, NBA drafts, and for however long, you have the international flavor to it. You have U.S. flavor to it. The NBA is in really good hands right now in the playoffs, and it's going to be an exciting offseason because we didn't even get to talk about what do the Warriors do now, Amari? What do they do? You know, We touched a little bit on what the Sixers are going to do. What do the New York Knicks do? There's just all of these questions around the offseason. NBA, it's a great time, and it's going to be even more fun offseason. Reminder, everybody, we will be back. We're hoping to have the episode out by Wednesday at noon-ish. Robin is the man behind the scenes. He's going to get after it. We're going to get up first thing Wednesday morning. And just so you guys know, Amari has to work Tuesday after the lottery, so he can't record right after. It'd be super late. We'll get up first thing Wednesday. We'll record. We'll get it out. If you do want to come watch it with anybody, I'll be joining Wes and Jack over on the DBB YouTube channel, giving our live reactions and analysis to the lottery balls but we will be out with a new episode on wednesday at noon and then we'll be back next week with our normal episodes going into the rest of the off season this was a fun one omari i enjoyed it as always take it away my guy this is going to be the first truly exciting week of the off season so i'm excited guys let's get to it uh shout out to our audio producer robert chan our executive producer anjanette delgado and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, shout out to Wes Davenport, as always. And we will talk to you all on Wednesday. Wednesday.